I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter. Welcome to episode 13, in which we get classy. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about taking classes and talking about why you might want to take classes and some tips and tricks for making your class time more successful. But first, as is our new tradition, we're going to start out with an interview of a quilter like the rest of us. And in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit with Vicki, who is a quilter actually not quite like me. She is much, much better than me. Vicky's turns out beautiful quilts, and she's also a quilt teacher. So this interview is the perfect lead-in to our topic of the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, would you like to start by introducing yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Vicki Steffenhagen, and I am a longtime quilter and pattern designer. And when did you first start quilting? Actually, I started quilting uh, when, (laughs) it's a funny story, in 1974, shortly after we were married, uh, a friend of mine and uh, I decided we wanted to take a quilting class together because neither one of us worked at the time. And uh, so we went to register for a quilting class and the classes were full. So we still wanted to do something together so we signed up for belly dancing classes (laughs) and I took two semesters of belly dancing and performed in a a recital and had the costume and the whole thing and do you have any pictures that's the question (laughs) actually I do still have one remaining picture that is quite faded now for which I'm very grateful (laughs) but uh, after after the two semesters of of dancing then uh, we finally got into a quilting class and I've been quilting ever since. <laughs> Are you still belly dancing? I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Uh, it's my husband feels that way too. <laughs> that would be a whole other facet to our yes. quilt retreats then if yeah. we also oh. had belly dancing classes right <laughs> yes. in the middle. Hot dog dance is about as far as I go right now. <laughs> So when you did finally start taking quilt classes, did you find yourself just bitten by that bug immediately, or did it take a while to grow on you? Um, Actually, I had always loved fabric. My mother was a garment sewer. My grandmother was a garment sewer and quilter, and also did upholstery and drapery. So I had been around fibers my whole life and always appreciated a good, fine fiber. So quilting was just sort of something that I kind of was ready to be in, I think. I had been garment sewing for myself since I was about 14 or 15. Mm. And it seemed like a very natural progression. And, of course, you know, seeing the beautiful quilts that other people were producing. And at that time, there was a a resurgence of quilting Mm -hmm. in the mid-'70s and... uh, was very easy to find resources and good teachers at that time. Mm -hmm. Did you find, was there anything about moving from the world of garment sewing into the world of quilting that you found tricky or that you had to keep reminding yourself that this was different? Oh, absolutely. With garment sewing, most all of your seams are five-eighths of an inch. 
you get down to quilting and you're at a quarter of an inch and that seems so incredibly small. <laughs> How could those pieces possibly stay together? Well, I'm going back and doing some garment sewing now and to go back to a 5-8 seam and a garment seems like, oh my goodness, this is way <laughs> too much fabric. You do not need this much. So I do have to remind myself that, okay, you're, you're making a skirt and you need a 5 eighths inch seam, and oh no, you're working on a quilt, you only need a quarter of an inch. <laughs> I think that's the most difficult transition. Okay. Is there something about um, some sort of quilt technique or method that you've always wanted to learn and you just haven't had the chance to yet? The very small piping that people are doing now um, really fascinates me, and to, to layer texture like that in a quilt is something that I wished I had more time to explore. Hmm. Now, I happen to know personally that you do teach classes. I've I do. I've taken classes <laughs> from you. Um, what are your favorite classes to teach, and what's your favorite thing about teaching? I enjoy teaching probably because I want people to be excited about what they're doing the way I'm excited about it. I love to see somebody have their aha moment during one of my classes, and I, I very often get that. It's a, a real joy for me to, to see somebody finally say, oh, that's how it's done, or that's so much easier than the way I was doing it. I didn't know you could do it that way. And that gives me a great deal of satisfaction, helping somebody make better use of their time or their fabric in achieving the results that they want to get. Tell me, as a teacher, what, would you, what advice would you like to give to somebody if they've never taken a quilt class before? How might they make the best possible experience of that class? To come in and be open-minded and take the advice of their teacher. Their teacher is not in her position or his position because they've come to it from somewhere else and they need to do it. People who teach quilting do it because they love to do it and they want other people to experience that kind of satisfaction. I always encourage my students to take as many classes from as many different teachers as they can possibly take. It always benefits them, even if they only learn one thing or one new technique, it's worth the price of the class. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good teachers out there. A lot of teachers teach just one thing, and they've made it their life's work. Seek those people out. They have a lot to offer. How might someone prepare for their first class? If it's a project class, which many first-time quilting classes are, to be happy with their fabric choices, and if they're are supplies that they need to bring, which most classes you do, to have your supplies with you. To come to a class unprepared and expect to get out of it what you want 
is an unrealistic expectation. Um, seek the advice of your local uh, quilt shop owners, uh, clerks, attendants. They're in their positions because most of the time they've been chosen by the owner or it is the owner themselves and they have a true love for what they're doing. A lot of them have very, very good advice on color and fabrics and fibers. And if you are taking a class at that particular shop, they are most likely familiar with the project and or the teacher enough to help guide you make your best choices. And I know sometimes when I've had that supply list and I've gone through it and I've thought, well, I have something that's similar to this already at home. I wonder if that'll work. And sometimes I get in and, yeah, it's a good substitution. Other times, no. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what would be your advice to somebody in that kind of a situation? Be open to making changes. Don't feel that because I love this fabric on the bolt at the store that it has to live in that quilt. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, it, once you get started on a project, um, you may decide that one particular print of green is just too overwhelming. And look around, see if there isn't something that would fill that spot a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But be open to making changes as your work progresses. And after all, the piece that you don't use ends up in your stash. And what <laughs> quilter doesn't have a stash? <laughs> and uh, let's talk a little bit then about the, the care and feeding of the teacher during the class. How, as, as a teacher who's trying to work with several students at once, what mm -hmm. might be some things that you might say, gee, I really wish that? I think most of the time, I really wished that people would come into the class and be in an attitude of wanting to learn. Sometimes people come in and they're there because a friend of theirs talked them into taking a class. I think that's wonderful to do things together with your friends, but be there number one, not only as a support to your friend, but be there because you want to be there. Um, it's very difficult if people come in, and, and I think every teacher has had this happen, and they feel that they're just going to talk about their own personal lives between the two of them, and whatever they get done, they get done, and they don't care. Mm. Most times, the teacher cares about what you get done. They want you to be successful, and it's difficult if you're not in an attitude of learning to teach somebody, to have them take away with them what your goal as a teacher is for them. Some people, not everybody is cut out to be a quilter. <laughs> but I think most women who have ever sewn would like to try it, or if they haven't already tried it and decided it wasn't for them. I don't know a single person who has ever seen a beautiful quilt and has not said to themselves, I wish I could do that. Mm -hmm. And with a little care and feeding, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> what would be, uh, I know a lot of my listeners are brand new quilters. They've only mm -hmm. been quilting a few months or maybe a year. What would be some advice you might give them? Keep at it. Keep loving it. Try everything. You're never going to find out what you're going to be good at or what you're going to enjoy 
unless you try. Hey, pod quilters! Welcome to episode thirteen, in which we get classy. Uh, the interview with Vicky is a great lead-off into the topic of this episode. We're going to talk all about taking classes. But first, we're going to go through some listener comments and some Sandy updates. I'd like to start out by saying thank you so much to everybody who is listening and to all the subscribers to this podcast. Uh, Once again, I really appreciate it. It's so much fun to be part of this conversation. And that means I really particularly enjoy it when you leave comments and when you send me emails. I do need to point out, however... I've gotten a lot fewer of those this week. You'd think it was a holiday weekend or something. I don't know what was going on. Um, I did still get some comments and emails, just not quite as many as last time. Um, I also have been pondering something that's been really interesting to me. I do have stats both on my Podbean account and on my Blogspot blog. And I've noticed on both of them, it's really interesting. Every Wednesday, there's a spike. Apparently Wednesday is the let's all get on our computer day because (laughs) on those days, almost every Wednesday is consistently the highest day of the week in terms of hits. And I just find that really interesting. So apparently some of you were on the website yesterday. Unfortunately, you didn't leave me any comments yesterday. Some of you did before. And I do want to say thank you so much to Tammy for leaving me a comment, even if she's not the Tammy. I thought she was, but still, Tammy, I really enjoyed hearing from you. Um, Thanks for the comments. And I also want to say thanks to Francis, Nani, and Darla for leaving comments on the website, on the Podbean website. I enjoyed reading all of your input. Um, I would highly recommend that everybody dance on over to the show blog, the quilter.podbean.com blog, to read the comments. Because Darla left some great information about the whole black and white photography thing that I had mentioned in the episode on value. And rather than repeating it all here, I would just invite you to go and read her comment, because she did have some good information there. Uh, Nani asked for some advice, and we need to all give it to her, because we know there's nothing that quilters enjoy more than giving advice. So here's Nani's question. What color as a background would you suggest to put with really bright colors? Reddest reds, bluest blues, Caribbean shades, lime, lemon, turquoise, etc.? any saturated intense true color. She goes on to say, I have in the past teamed it with black, but I'm unsure if I should team it with pure white or can I use an off-white cream, acru, etc. And she also asks, can the same brights be used with batiks? My daughter feels the batiks are grayed, muddied, and toned down the brights, making them dull. If anyone has an opinion, please let me know. So, again, I would invite everybody to hop on over to quilter.podbean.com read Nani's question and post your own comments and your own advice to her. I'm also myself really interested to hear what others would say. I think I would tend to lean myself towards a pure white, but I'm not sure. I haven't really worked in those particular colors an awful lot yet. There probably are times when maybe it would be more appropriate to do a a cream or an acru. I would also certainly think you could do them with batiks. There is a huge range of batiks out there now, uh, just about every color under the sun. I think it is true that in the past, a lot of batiks were more of a toned down color, but now that's not true at all. I've got uh, one quilt, in fact, one of my UFOs that's here that I did a stack and slash technique. If you've never heard of that, I will let me know and I will post some information on what stack and slash is. Um, I used a layer cake, a 10 inch square pack of batiks, and it came out looking really, really tropical. It was a lot of fun because they were the brighter colors, those limes, lemons, turquoise, and so forth. 
So anyway, uh, do go give Nani your advice, read Darla's advice as well, and uh, read everybody else's comments and leave your own. By the way, Darla, if you do eventually work out something on the Creativity Challenge photo using projections and math due to the shadow, I want to invite you to send me that photo anytime and I will find a present to send you. Um, As someone who suffered math trauma in my young formative years, I'm extremely impressed by anyone who actually enjoys it, first of all, and to be able to make beauty from math, you go girl. Send me a photo, I'll send you a prize. (laughs) I would love to see that at any time. And that is a nice segue actually into a reminder of the deadline on the Creativity Challenge project. You've got one more weekend. The deadline is June 7th at midnight. That's Monday. So I expect none of you to be outside in your gardens or playing or hanging out with family or anything. You should be in your sewing room being creative. And that's what I say. In any case, um, I'm about halfway done with mine. I'm hoping to finish mine up this weekend as well but I do actually plan to spend some time outside too, if it ever stops raining. We've had a lot of rain today. I think we're supposed to have sun again tomorrow. I do want to give a shout out to Frances, who already sent me a photo of her completed project. Woohoo, Frances! Uh, That makes you either a star student or a kiss-up one never knows do one. I did also hear a quote somewhere. Not entirely sure where I heard it, but I immediately started thinking quilting. Um, The quotation was something along the lines that people are not defined by their mistakes. People are defined by whether or not they learn from them. And that just seems to me to fit the entire theme of my entire podcast, that I make mistakes and I try to learn from them on occasion. Um, I have, as I've pondered that quotation... I've actually been thinking that I'm going to change my verbiage. I'm somebody that loves words. I love language. I actually had a near miss with um, going on to do some master's work in linguistics after college. I loved my linguistics class, and apparently I was particularly good at it because the professor took me aside and suggested, hey, maybe you want to do some master's work in this. I ultimately decided not to do that, but I still love words. And I believe fully in the power of words. I think the way that we use language not only shows who we are, but also affects who we are. And so I have decided I'm going to stop saying about quilting that I'm not good at something. Um, How many times have you found yourself saying, oh, I'm just not good at that? Or gosh, I'm such a bad quilter, I can't do thus and so. I'm going to stop saying that and I'm going to start saying unpracticed instead. So instead of me coming to a certain thing in quilting and getting frustrated because I can't do it well, I'm not going to say, gosh, I am just not good at this anymore. I'm really going to try to say, boy, am I unpracticed in this. (laughs) And that will encourage me to, one, stop defining myself by mistakes, but also to say, okay, if I'm unpracticed in this, how do I get better? I need to just practice more. So that's just my little, um, oh, deep profound thought for the day. Um, And that's enough from that. No more profundity for the rest of this podcast. In terms of projects I've got going on right now, um, haven't actually made a lot of progress in anything I already had started. Uh, I do have, I believe I mentioned in a previous podcast episode that I've got these five charity quilts on my hands that I need to finish. Somebody else pieced all the tops, actually a group of people pieced all the tops and somebody else even beyond that cut the squares that went into the tops. So these charity quilts have been through a whole lot of hands before they've gotten to me, which means there's some issues going on. And my job is to get backing and quilt them and bind them 
and finally get them donated. I've only gotten one done, and it took me probably close to 10 hours to finish that one, and it should have been a much quicker project than that. I am hoping that now that I I did that one on my quilt retreat, my quilt setup wasn't great for it. I'm home now. I'm in my better setup that really, you know, is, is designed for doing machine quilting and that sort of thing. I'm hoping the other four go much more quickly. Uh, but I've got one of those that I did actually get the backing made for last weekend. I've just got it. I'm going to hit it with some quick spray baste and just do the fastest machine quilting I can possibly get done on that. I'm hoping maybe I can at least get it quilted this weekend. We'll see. I'm probably not going to get it both quilted and bound. Um, last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, my sister Diane came up to visit, and this was the first time that she and I have spent this much time alone together, probably since we were both still living at home with mom and dad. Diane and I are the youngest two children of five. I'm the youngest youngest, I'm the baby, she's the next one up, and so we were the last two left at home after the other three had already moved out and gone on to college and, you know, the rest of their lives, and Diane and I were at home for a few years there together. It's really probably been since then that we've spent this much time just the two of us together and we just had a ball it was so nice to be able to just hang out um be low key i had ahead of time asked her if she could bring her serger with her so that i could play with it here's the thing when my mom passed away mom had multiple sewing machines but she had two really good ones and then she had the serger. The other ones were smaller, older, um, kind of her portable machines. And so those got donated to other people in the family that just wanted a kind of a basic sewing machine. But then there were these three good machines. One was um, a basically a quilter's sewing machine. Another one is an embroidery machine. And then the third one was the serger. And so after consulting with my mom's quilty friends about these machines and trying to figure out, you know, what kind of things were involved in all of them, my sister Diane and I divided those three between us because we're really the only two daughters that are sewers of any kind. And I'm the quilter. My sister does textile art and a lot of sewing for home decorating and that kind of thing. So we worked out a deal. I got the quilter sewing machine and my sister took the embroidery machine and the, the serger. So... I have always been kind of curious about sergers and maybe a little bit interested, but since I'd never really used one, I didn't know if this was something I really wanted. So I asked her if she could bring the serger with her, and she did. And I got to play with it, and I want one now. <laughs> this, this is my new dream toy. It's definitely bumped its way right up to the top of my wish list. I have a birthday coming up. I'm kind of hoping maybe I can talk my family into doing that for me. Um, this thing is a hoot. I loved that serger. It was so much fun. And that serger that I was playing with is actually a slightly older model. My sister and I looked it up on the internet, couldn't quite find it. We're thinking it's probably 10 to 12 years old. It's a Bernina serger. It works beautifully. It still works like a dream. But the newer models have a few more bells and whistles on them. And just to give you an idea, if you've never worked with a serger before, I pulled some 108-inch backing fabric off my shelf that I had inherited from mom. And to be honest, I'm not a big fan of 108-inch width fabric. I know, you know, it's supposed to be more helpful because you don't have to piece it and all that kind of thing. The couple times I've used it, I've just found it a real pill because it's just too big for me to maneuver around my cutting table, around my ironing board. I really... I'm deciding that I prefer to use the regular width fabric and sew it together. I just, I'm finding that easier to work with. I haven't done a lot of projects with 108 inch width fabric. I might change my mind somewhere down the line. 
or maybe I'll get to a point where I can rearrange my sewing room and have a little more space around my cutting table or whatever. But in any case, I had inherited several 108-inch backing fabrics that my mom had, because I know, you know, those are pricey things. I wasn't going to give them up, but I hadn't really used a couple of them. And so I took one of them that's in a, it was in a colorway that I just, you know, it's nothing I'm ever really going to use. And I decided it would make a very pretty spring tablecloth. So I just surged it, surged the end of it. I had a brand new tablecloth in probably all of about 15 or 20 minutes. I love this thing. (laughs) I really want one. And as I was looking them up on the internet afterwards and kind of looking at what some of the newer models do, they do a lot with decorative stitching. You can do some couching with them. Um, There are ways you can do uh, patchwork, actually, almost a quilt-as-you-go method. It's not something I would use all the time, but for something a little bit different, it would be fun. So just so you know, I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for a serger. Uh, If any of you are familiar with sergers, if you have one, and if you want to send me any advice about what I should look for in particular in sergers, that would be great. I'm kind of thinking maybe I'm leaning towards a baby lock brand, not real committed to that. And that's only because um, their newer models have this really big thing about how it's threaded. It's an Aerojet threading or something like that. Anyway, um, I would be more than happy to get your advice on sergers because I'm probably not going to be running out and buying one tomorrow, but I'm hoping maybe by the end of the summer I might be able to have one. The other thing my sister and I spent the weekend doing was playing with Luchador, and that's actually how I enticed her to come up with me, because she does a lot of textile art kind of stuff, and actually she's dabbled in a lot of different art media over her adult life, and so I thought she'd probably get a kick out of Luchador, plus her more well-developed artistic sense than mine, shall we say, um, actually I thought would push me to become much more free in my experimentation with Luchador as well. And we just had a great time doing it. We did mess around with all sorts of stuff. And you will see pictures, and I kind of outlined the different kinds of things we did on my quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com. So I would encourage you to go over there if you're at all curious about Luchador and the different kinds of things you can do it. We barely scratched the surface, uh, but we had a great time doing it. So that's pretty much all I've been working on at the moment, planning on spending some time this weekend, finishing up my creativity challenge project, uh, finishing up hopefully this one charity quilt, Um, maybe doing a little bit of other bits and pieces, but those are pretty much the two main things I need to get accomplished this weekend. So on to episode 13 in which we get classy and I do need to preface the content to this episode by saying this one is dedicated to Jane who asked me the original question. Do you think a relatively new quilter would be better off spending the money on fabrics or classes? And gosh, that's a tough question to ask a quilter because, of course, you know, everything inside us just wants to shout, fabric, spend it on fabric. But there is so much to be said for taking classes. And so in my conversation back and forth with Jane, I decided, you know, I'll do an episode on taking classes. I think that'll be a good one to do. So the first thing I'm just going to talk about briefly is why would you even take classes to start with? I know there's a lot of people who are self-taught out there. Um, Some folks say it with great pride, I am entirely self-taught. And that's wonderful. If you can do that, fantastic. I am partially self-taught. There are certain aspects of my quilting that I haven't taken any classes in. I've just been messing around with it myself. I've been buying books or whatever, and I've been teaching myself. But boy, do I realize it would be so helpful to take classes because there is nothing that will beat being able to sit for a defined 
period of time with somebody whose job it is, is to make sure you learn how to do this right. And I don't want to say that there's only one right way to do something, but I'm saying whatever what method they are trying to teach you, they will help you learn it to the best of your ability. And that means that maybe next week you'll take a different class with somebody else teaching you a different method for doing that same thing, but there's a lot of benefit to doing that. So the first reason you would want to take classes is to learn new skills or to refine the skills you've already got. That's really kind of the biggest thing. No matter what the class topic is, no matter what it's trying to teach you, just by virtue of the fact that you're in the class and you're doing something, you're learning or you're refining your skills. That's just a given. Another reason to take classes is you're going to be learning new techniques or new methods. You might even be exposed to new terminology or new tools. Um, There's always changes in the industry. You know, there's always new things coming out. And what better way to become exposed to those things than to take classes? Because generally speaking, quilt shops especially, you know, they're Bread is buttered by staying up on the newest and latest techniques. So you will find classes and those kinds of things frequently at your local quilt shop and certainly at conferences. And then obviously there's the world of book and online classes as well and DVDs, all those kinds of places. So it really does kind of keep you up on what's the latest and greatest. And I'm not saying that just by virtue of, you know, you always need to learn the next new thing. I'm not into throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. Um, But a lot of times there's, you know, you'll be exposed to that one new tool or that one new trick or tip that suddenly makes something you've been struggling with a whole lot easier. So definitely that's a good reason for taking classes. Another reason to take classes is depending on the type of class, it actually encourages you to get a project done. You know, it's it's a sense of accomplishment. Um, There are a lot of project classes out there that are, you know, the whole purpose of taking that class is to get something done. And there's, you know, it's just wonderful to actually be able to say, hey, I got something finished. So that's a good reason to take classes. Obviously, some classes also then just create more UFOs for yourself, but that's on your own conscience. Um, (laughs) But in any case, especially around the holidays, you'll see an awful lot of classes that are for projects. And that's a good way to go somewhere for a few hours and actually have something done and be able to feel really good about it. Another reason to take classes that you might not think of quite so immediately is that you're building a social network, actually. You know, you can meet your next best friend in the class, so be open to that. That doesn't mean that a class is a social hour, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's a great way to meet people, to build a network. If you take a lot of classes at the same quilt shop, for example, you're probably going to start running into some of the same other students uh, again and again. Um So do be aware that it's a great way to meet people. And then, you know, finally, a a really good reason for taking classes at your local quilt shop in particular is because you are supporting your local quilt shop. And you may not think of it that way, but, you know, I don't know the numbers. I don't own a quilt shop, but I would be willing to guess that an awful lot of their solvency is dependent on how many students they have in their classes and how many classes they're able to teach. Because it's not, or I'm sorry, how many classes they're able to offer. It's not just you know, selling fabric in a quilt store. It's all those other things that happen. And plus, when you sign up for class, I think often there's supplies and stuff involved that the quilt shop is hoping maybe you'll actually buy there. And some quilt shops will provide kits for the class, depending on the class. So if you want your favorite quilt shop to still be there next year, I would strongly encourage you to take as many as uh, classes as you can from it. Um, it's a great way to help make sure that that quilt store stays around for a while. 
Now, I've already mentioned briefly, there's a lot of different places you can take classes. You can take them at your local quilt shop. You can take them at conferences. Um, a lot of quilt shows will have even just little brief seminars, even just the little things that are like a demonstration where you're not actually physically hands-on trying to make something. Watching somebody else and being exposed to the different types of techniques will at least let you know, oh, hey, that's something I want to learn, or gee, no, I'm not as interested in that right now. And so it helps you kind of sort that out. Um, you can also take classes online. There's an awful lot of online classes these days, and more and more, I think, as more of the quilting world becomes uh, more enmeshed in the internet, there's a lot of classes that are becoming available each year. And so I'd really recommend that you spend some time online. And I will post in my show notes to this episode a couple of links to some uh, online classes that I'm aware of, some that I have actually taken classes from, other ones I'm not, but I do know that they exist. I probably will not have a comprehensive list. So if you're aware of other places, once you've looked at the ones I've listed and you have others that you'd like to recommend, please do so. The problem with taking an online class is simply that um, you don't have ready access to that teacher. Uh, the online classes I've taken primarily through Quilt University, the teachers are very responsive. There's a discussion board, you're able to post a question, but you're not going to get that answer right away. It's not going to be while you're sitting at your sewing machine. It's, it's going to take some time for the person to get back to you. So that's kind of a, a con. But on the flip side, you can do it and your own schedule, and you can do it in your jammies, <laughs> and you can have those documents from the class to download and to keep, depending on how the class is set up, I suppose, um, but you can keep them for future reference. So I really like taking online classes, and there are certain times in my schedule during the year that I can only do online classes. I just can't fit in a regular class, so I think those are an excellent opportunity. Um, uh, another con you do have to have good internet and I'm sh- I know that not everybody in the country does have good internet uh, service but on the other hand you guys are all listening to podcasts so I'm guessing that's probably not as much of an issue for you as it might be for some other folks and also with online classes there's nothing holding you to finishing the class that you know it's too easy to just walk away from your computer so you have to be very self-motivated to actually finish an online class you can also, of course, do books or DVDs. Um, those are probably the most cost-effective option. They tend to be least expensive, and then they can stay on your shelf for years. You know, So in terms of the um, number of dollars spent versus the amount of time that you're getting out of that uh, product, yeah, books and DVDs are a good option, and there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of things you can do with them, but again, you have to be self-motivated. You have to know you're going to finish whatever it is you're starting. Um, there's, you know, some books are more well-written than others. Some DVDs are more well-done than others. Check out user reviews, customer reviews, ask your friends, all that kind of stuff. Now, to give you a tip for getting the most out of your online book or DVD class, and in this one I'm preaching to myself as much as to everybody else because I don't do this, and I really want to. I really should because I have a couple of books I've been taking pot shots at working my way through, and I need to approach it differently. The best thing about taking a class, I'm sorry, not the best thing, but a real benefit to taking a class in person at your local quilt shop is you've paid for it, it's on the calendar, and you're out of your house. Nobody can get to you (laughs) while you're there. And, you know, you're not distracted by your email. You're not distracted by the dishes in the sink. You're not distracted by having to help kids with homework or whatever. You are away. You are designating that time as quilt class time. When you're doing something on your own, you don't tend to do that. It's you try to fit it in wherever you can. And guess what tends to happen? It doesn't happen. <laughs> so 
so you know it just the book in my case my book keeps getting shoved further and further off the side of my um, cutting table until it's just going to become completely invisible and I really need to pull it out and say okay this is my class time every Saturday morning you know for half an hour I'm going to do this thing it doesn't have to be a huge chunk of time depending on your schedule and the class or the book that you're trying to work your way through the DVD but it would really help if you did that I would ask you to do that favor to yourself and also do the activities in the book you know you can read the book cover to cover but if you don't do any of the activities that it's asking you to do as it's teaching you whatever it's trying to teach you you're probably not going to learn it real well so do your homework otherwise it's just not going to matter now when you take an in-person class there's a few things that um I was fortunate enough that my mommy told me before I took my first class, and I have continued these habits, and they really are good. Well, the first one I wasn't able to do for a few years, but she had actually said to me, you know, you should have a small portable sewing machine just for taking the classes, and my mom did. My mom actually had multiple sewing machines, but she had one that was her class machine, and it was probably her lightest weight machine. I know this is an expenditure, but actually smaller stripped down model machines really aren't all that expensive. And they also, think of it, have less to break. So there's probably a much lower repair cost for these things and you're not using them as frequently so you won't have to clean them as often and all that kind of stuff. So I think it probably it's a wash in the long run. And certainly if you buy a new machine, don't get rid of the old machine if it's still working. Use that as your class machine. There's a couple reasons why this is helpful. First of all, you don't have to completely dismantle your regular sewing machine every time you take a class. Or if you've got a really heavy one that's a bear to carry, it might preclude you from wanting to take a class. You know, these are all those things that mess with our minds. Well, I'd love to take a class, but oh my word, I hate lugging all that stuff. Or I'd love to take a class, but you know, I don't want to crawl around under my sewing cabinet and unplug everything and wrap it all up and pack it up only to have to unpack it again three hours later. You know, these are the things that can tend to keep us from saying yes to a class and I want you to say yes to a class so consider whether you might be able to get your hands on a small portable sewing machine that you can designate as your class machine look at places like Craigslist you know Um, look at big box discount stores you don't need something big unless your class is specifically one that's geared towards high-end machines like a machine embroidery class or something that's actually teaching you how to use your machine obviously you need particular machines for that But for your average quilting class, I don't know that I've ever used more than two stitches in any class I've ever been in. Obviously, if you get in a machine quilting, you need to be able to drop your feed dogs, but not even necessarily that. You can just tape an index card over your feed dogs, and it has the same effect. Not as pretty, but it has the same effect. So, you know, you can talk to a teacher ahead of time. Hey, I've just got the stripped down model. Is that going to be sufficient for this class or do I really need to lug my big one along with me? I'd really encourage you to do that because I suspect if it was easier for you to get out the door, you'd probably get out the door more often. In the same vein, I would really strongly recommend that you consider having a supply bag packed for classes at all times as well. Most standard supplies are inexpensive enough that you can have two of one without breaking the bank. So for example, two seam rippers, two pairs of thread snippers, you know, a few different packs of your standard sewing machine needles, an extra bobbin, um, you know, one of those bobbin holder things with a few bobbins, maybe a few spools of some standard colored, neutral colored thread, a small cutting mat, a small pressing board, so forth, that kind of thing. Just have a second of all of that stuff in a supply bag that's ready to grab and go. 
On the flip side, if you don't really want to do two of everything, if you really are trying to keep yourself contained and or don't have the money or whatever, print out a list and keep it printed, uh, pinned on your bulletin board or somewhere that you're going to be able to easily lay your hands on it of items you generally need and then consult it when you need to pack. That will speed you up so much getting out the door. And again, you know, like me, whenever I'm taking a class, I'm trying to get out the door as fast as humanly possible. And and it helps me to have these sort of little things that I don't have to do much thinking. I can just say, okay, you know, here's my list. Boom, 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 boom. I've got everything in there. Good. I'm good to go. Obviously, for classes, you're going to have a few extra supplies that aren't on your standard list, but they all pretty much ask for the same standards. So do yourself a favor and plan ahead a little bit and either have a supply bag that's just always packed or have a list on your bulletin board. I would also recommend, especially if you're very, very new at quilting, that you ask a lot of questions about the class before you sign up for it. Make sure it's appropriate to your skill level. Uh, The first class I ever took, I had only been sewing a couple of months, and I was a rank beginner, and the class was listed as a beginner class, but it really wasn't. Um, I should have had probably another year worth of sewing under my belt before I took that class. And, you know, I remember when I told my mom, hey, you know, there's this class, I really like the the idea of this method. It was a um, Bethany Reynolds stack and whack class, which is not hard. It's not a hard technique at all. But you end up with a lot of bias edges. And I had not been sewing long enough to really be aware of what an issue that was. And I ended up just having one problem after another, and it was very frustrating for me to the point where I almost didn't learn anything from the class. And it actually, the class, the quilt itself didn't get finished until seven years later because I was so frustrated. And I think if I had been more aware of the fact that that class was really a little more advanced than I was ready for at that point, um, you know, I could have taken the same class six months later or a year later and had a much more positive experience. I'm only just now getting around to the point where I feel like, yeah, you know, I could probably handle a Bethany Reynolds <laughs> pattern again. When actually, I know I could have done it years, but it, that kind of thing just messes with your head. You know, it gets in there and it just makes you think wrong. Um, so be aware of what the class is and talk to the teacher and say, hey, I'm I'm really new at this. Do you think I'm going to be able to handle this class? Or are there is there anything I should really get comfortable with doing between now and the time the class starts? The teacher would much rather have you ask those questions ahead of time than get into the class and be frustrated. I can guarantee you that. So don't be afraid to ask those questions. Okay, here's the biggie, and probably the the way to be most effective in your class time is come prepared, and again, preaching to myself here, um, I have had a couple of very, very memorable, almost traumatic experiences where I was taking a class and I had left all the preparation to the absolute last minute. I had kind of assumed, oh, this is something I'll be able to whip together, and then it took me longer than I thought, and I was up till well past midnight trying to finish cutting and putting the stuff together that I needed to have done for the class. Um, I've also had experiences where there was something on the list that I didn't recognize, that you know, they used a brand name or a, a terminology. I was unfamiliar with and I thought well I think maybe this is similar to thus and so and I'd grab thus and so and I'd get to class and found out no you know thus and so really isn't what I needed and I should have had something else so as soon as you get that supply list read it through again ask the teacher or ask somebody at the store where you're signing up or wherever you're you know if it's at a conference or wherever you're signing up to make sure you understand what's on that supply list And then give yourself adequate time to prepare. Because the one thing you don't want to do is go to class assuming you're going to have time in class 
to prepare because you're not. You're wasting your own time. You have paid money to be in that class, to have the opportunity to learn from that teacher. And if you can't listen to her because you're quickly trying to whip together whatever you're whipping together, you've just wasted your own money. So give yourself appropriate time to prepare for class and come prepared. Another thing is to know your sewing machine. Um, And I'm saying this, again, a little bit of personal experience here. Up until recently, I only had one sewing machine. So yeah, I was kind of dismantling my sewing machine every time I had to go to class. And But that was okay. You know, I didn't have a real complex setup, so I was able to do that. But when I inherited my mom's sewing machine, my former machine, or my former machine is now my class machine. And so I took this machine quilting class that was the subject of, I don't know, episode two or three, something like that. And it was the first time I had used my former machine in probably something like eight or nine months. And I got to class, you know, I didn't even think about it. I got to class, set it up, and I sat there and looked at it. It was like, oh, my word, I don't remember how to turn this thing on. You know, it was like I couldn't, suddenly I couldn't remember where anything was. Now, thankfully, in that class, the teacher had actually put on her supply list sewing machine manual, which doesn't usually end up on your average class list. Um, In her case, she put it on there because it was a machine quilting class. So you really had to know how to do certain things on your machine. Um, But now my sewing machine manual actually just lives in the wheelie bag that my machine lives in. So I've always got it with me whenever I'm using that machine. Fortunately, because I had used that machine for so many years, it only took me about five minutes of refamiliarizing myself and learning, you know, where do I drop the feed dogs and that kind of thing. Um, I I was in another class once, though, where somebody actually <laughs> showed up to class with a brand spanking new machine that they had just picked up from the store and brought to the class <laughs> and then proceeded to spend, I swear, at least half the class trying to figure out how to thread the darn machine because <laughs> they had no idea how to use it. Um, I think that's an unusual occurrence, but I would say know your sewing machine first. If you decide you want to pick up a brand spanking new machine and bring it to class, um, plan to get to class a good half hour 45 minutes so that you can figure out how to thread the machine and know where everything is on it Uh, you know when you're in the class don't be afraid to ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions of the teacher don't be afraid to ask questions of other students do respect the fact that the teacher has a lot of other students in the class that also might have questions and do respect the fact that the other students in the class also have their own stuff they've got to get done I mean don't monopolize anybody but do definitely ask questions that's what you're there to do you know the number of times I've sat quietly assuming I'm the only person that wasn't able to figure something out and gosh I must be this idiot because I didn't understand this and then finally you know 15 minutes into my free floating anxiety attack here somebody else will say you know I'm sorry I don't get this and they'll ask the question that I had just been stewing about for 15 minutes and if I had just gotten it over with I would have saved myself a whole lot of frustration so definitely don't be afraid to ask questions Um, now I think Vicki did touch on this next one uh, in her interview but be open to learning new things now you would think that's one of those you know well of course captain obvious kinds of questions or kinds of responses but not everybody that goes to class is actually open to learning in the class and so if you are taking the time to go to a class be there to learn you know again we've we've often been in the presence of the person who seems more inclined to tell you how much they know than they are to trying to learn uh, from the teacher I know, obviously, none of my podcast listeners are like that, but definitely when you're there, assume you are a sponge and assume you're going to soak up everything and not only from the teacher, you're also going to be soaking it up from the other students. Um, I, You know, the number of classes I've taken 
I've had a lot where I feel like I've learned almost as much from the other students as I have from the teacher. And that doesn't say that that wasn't a good teacher. That just says that's the level of learning that can happen in a class. You can pick up even the most random little tips or even just seeing what other gadgets people are using. I I always have to laugh at myself. Um, You know, apparently I am sort of a or organizational obsessive or something but one of my favorite things to do is when I get to class it usually doesn't take me all that long to set myself up so I get myself set up and then I just sit there and I watch the other students come in and I am eyeing their organizational tools you know I'm looking at everybody's what case are they carrying in what kind of bag do they have Ooh, there's a nice one oh that's a good idea gee I'd really you know I'll have to ask them where to get that it, that kind of that's my thing is I like to see how people have organized themselves. I don't know what that says about me. It's a little scary. But anyway, you know, I've picked up some good ideas just from seeing what people carry their stuff in. But you also, you know, you'll see, oh, boy, that's a different kind of pin. I've never used that pin before. And usually somebody will say, oh, here, try one, you know, so you get a chance to do some free trial runs on stuff, too. So, you know, make sure that you are open to learning and be open to learning from anybody anywhere. And also be aware that there's a lot of techniques out there and not every technique is right for every person. Just because one person swears by something, oh, I do this and every time it turns out perfect, you may do it and it may not work for you. And that's nothing about the technique and that's nothing about you. Different people learn differently. Different people will react differently to different types of techniques. So that's part of why we learn as many techniques as we can because it might be that the one technique we were taught for doing something actually doesn't work as well for us as some other new technique that's right around the corner. So be aware that, you know, learn everything you can because you might find something that works better for you than what you've been doing before. And the main thing is just have fun have fun in your class. You know, I've talked in a few times about being frustrated in classes, and certainly I've taken classes where, you know, I've gotten partway through something and I just can't figure it out and my machine's not cooperating or whatever. Whenever that happens, I try to just take my hands off, put them in my lap, take a really deep breath, you know, do that cleansing breath, go to my happy place. <laughs> you know, I just try to breathe for a minute. And then I try again. And if it still doesn't come to me, I take my hands, I put them down, and I just breathe again. And then sometimes I'll even get up if the teacher is showing another student um, it, it, the technique, I will actually go over and kind of watch the teacher again to see whether maybe seeing it from a different angle or, or hearing her explain it in a different way will help it click. Um, be aware of something I think of as the fluster factor. Sometimes I get stupid because I'm aware that other people around me might be able to see me screwing up. You know, <laughs> you you get so worried about other people watching you mess up that you suddenly start messing up. You know, that's just kind of one of those uh, catch twenty twos. Um, if it's never ending frustration, just stop, breathe watch people around you, kind of see what they're doing, see if it helps you figure it out, listen to the teacher, explain it to a few other folks, ask the teacher to come over and show you again if she's available. Just get your head back on straight, take those couple of minutes. Um, But mostly remember, I always told my kids this when they were dealing with middle school, and trust me, there is no quilt class that's worse than middle school. (laughs) Middle school is the absolute worst. But remember this, I used to tell my kids, I know you feel like everybody's watching you. But trust me, 
they aren't watching you. They're more worried that everybody's watching them. You know, everybody is thinking more about themselves than they are about you. <laughs> that's that's just kind of, you know, the sad fact about we um, we human beings is we spend more time in our own head than we do worried about other people's heads. So if you're sitting there in your quilt class worried that people are watching you mess up, trust me, they're worried that you're watching them mess up. So just get that little head game out of your head. Just breathe have fun. Remember you're there to learn. You're not there to get angry and frustrated. Do yourself that favor. Have a good time. And, you know, trust me, you will learn something. Even if whatever the technique is that the class is about, even if the main theme of the class just doesn't grab you, doesn't jazz you, you're going to learn something. Even if it's just that, okay, I'm never going to do this technique again. That's still value. So take as many classes as you can and let me know about them please. Again, I love to hear your comments. I love to get your emails. Um, Let us know if you've taken classes from a teacher that you'd like to highly recommend. Drop a comment on the show notes. Share that information with other people. Um, If you've taken online classes and want to let us know about what classes you really enjoyed, let us know that. If you've done books or DVDs that you particularly have learned a lot from or you like the way that they're done, let us know that. Let us know. Basically, we're nosy. We want to know these things, so tell us, please. Okay, all of my contact information. I've told you I'm working on trying to get everything into one place. Not entirely successful yet. Getting a lot closer. Um, meanwhile, so basically this time I'm just going to post point you in the direction of the show notes for this episode because I have now been able to post widgets, I love that word, widgets, on my Podbean site that leads you to the blog and leads you to the Twitter account. Um, so, you know, you can get everywhere you need to get from my show notes. So go to http colon slashy slashy quilter.podbean.com and leave comments about this episode. Uh, Remember, there's a page there for letting us know about your favorite quilt shops. You'll see that. That's the second tab, I think. So leave us notes about where your favorite quilt stops are, especially for me, the Columbus, Ohio area and Um, Actually, I'm going to be in Waikiki for a day with nothing to do, believe it or not, this summer in July. I'm going there for a conference. I have to go in a day in advance for a variety of reasons, and I will have a day in Waikiki, and I am looking for a recommendation of a quilt shop. So if I've got any listeners out there from Hawaii, lay it on me. Tell me where I need to go. Um, I'm sorry. Tell me where I need to go in terms of a quilt shop. (laughs) Otherwise, verboten, don't be saying that. And as always, you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. That's Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z, and it's also sandyquilts at Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget the creativity challenge due Monday. Would like to get more pictures. And until then, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 